first thing within the industrial buyer's mind when they're making a decision. What are the consequences of this going wrong? And for that reason, it's very critical for us as a vendor to understand their challenges. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Ryan Schimmel. And today I'm super excited to be talking to Benjamin Richardson about building a marketing organization from scratch. Ben is a results-oriented, people-focused leader with a proven track record in building high-performance, highly motivated teams that challenge current thinking and drive maximum business value against a clear vision. He spent 14 years at Stanley Black & Decker, and he's currently the global VP of marketing for the industrial platform of businesses responsible for driving revenue growth by bringing innovation to market and building meaningful customer relationships. Benjamin, welcome. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Let's jump right in. That was quite an introduction. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your role and your journey at Stanley Black & Decker? Sure, I'd love to. So Stanley Black & Decker is split into two main business units. So one is tools and outdoor, where we feature a lot of the well-known brands like Black & Decker, Craftsman, a lot of brands that your listeners would be very familiar with. And then we have the industrial platform of businesses, which is the other half of business. So I'm currently the VP of marketing for the industrial platform. Beautiful. Now, when we spoke before this recording, you had told me that your team has gone through quite an evolution over the last few years. It was very small and you've actually built it up into something to be quite proud of. Talk to me a little bit about that evolution, if you will, and some of the key ingredients that go into building a really great marketing team. Sure. So we created the industrial marketing platform about two and a half years ago. Uh, And prior to that, we had five disparate business units, which didn't collaborate at all. And each one of those business units had a a small marketing function, a small team of brand managers. But when we created the industrial platform, we we went to create a a marketing organization to serve all these businesses that was fit for the future uh, and could really help us serve our customers better. So for that reason, we went from a small team of five all the way up to a team of 25 people in the space of about six months. So really fast growth within the team. And as a result of that, we've seen tremendous value added to the business from the new this uh, has been put together. That's quite a growth trajectory going from five to, uh, to 25 in just a half a year. Tell me a little bit about, for example, like how are you defining success for your team? How do you select the right metrics? How are you measuring success? Can you share a little bit about that for our listeners? Sure. So when it came to designing the organization, there were four key considerations that we really wanted to see progress in as we move towards a marketing organization that is fit for the future. And the first one was a results-driven organization. So I think many marketing teams are guilty of being what you describe as activity-based. Um, so we attended this event. Uh, we're going to do this campaign. We're going to do this other piece of activity. And transforming that into being a very much results-oriented organization, which has data really foundationally built into our culture. So everything is always about return on investment, and everything is always about proving marketing value. And that's very important, right? Especially when you're starting something from scratch, when you're starting something which is new to the organization, you need to be able to show that what you're doing is going in the right direction. Uh, And for that reason, we we established uh, a benchmark metric of 10 times marketing ROI for all of our activity. So results-based is one thing, but 
when creating the new business, we also wanted to make sure that we were in-housing critical skills, which were going to be important to our strategy moving forward. So these are things like data analytics, digital marketing, uh, search engine optimization, uh, and even building a content studio so that we can keep up with the huge demand for content that we see with a, the account-based marketing approach that we now run. But we also want to make sure that this is not intended to be disparaging of brand managers because I am a brand manager, but replacing generalists or brand managers with functional experts within our team. And the idea behind this is that, as an example, a brand manager can deliver a new website project, but they probably won't do it as efficiently or as effectively as a digital marketing manager. Um, so in order to drive more efficiency and more effectiveness in our team, we wanted to make sure that we had functional experts in place that were managing those kind of projects. But perhaps more importantly than all these things is customer proximity by design. So making sure that we don't have any silos in the organization, the voice of the customer is paramount and that our teams are innately connected to what our customers need and what our customers' challenges are so they can collaborate with the sales team to build out effective strategies to actually target those teams and go to market. That's great, Benjamin. Thank you for sharing. So you shared a little bit about activities and inputs as opposed to outputs and outcomes and measuring the right things. Can you share a couple things, for example, some of the metrics that you and your team are using to actually measure that success? So we like to make sure that we are measuring effectiveness all the way through the funnel. So we're not just talking about revenue as the final outcome, but we're also talking about awareness metrics. We're also talking about engagement. We're also talking about lead generation, the quality of the leads that are actually being generated, and all the way through to opportunity creation. And for us, because we exist in some quite long sales cycles, anything from six months all the way through to seven years sometimes within our automotive business, we can't always track all the way through to revenue for a particular campaign. So we tend to stop that opportunity creation. So when we see the value of an opportunity that's created within our CRM platform, that's our final point of measurement for revenue. So when we say 10 times marketing ROI, we want to make sure that we achieve at least 10 times the cost of the activity as opportunity value that we see within our CRM. Wow, that's awesome. I had never given thought to a seven-year sales cycle. That is every salesperson's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sell some really big pieces of equipment. It's some very well-known automotive OEMs. And getting that equipment on the production line is no small, no small feat. Um, so yeah, yeah, we have to work pretty hard. I can imagine. So listen, when you're managing a sales cycle that long or literally around the globe as you operate, I'm sure you're using quite a bit of, of technology. Can you share with us a little bit about like how you are selecting technology, whether it's marketing automation or even your CRM? Like, What are you putting in your tech stack and how are you selecting that to really enable success for your team? And then the follow-up question is going to be, hey, look, tech stacks are no small investment. I'd love to hear how, you are, how you're getting sales and marketing aligned and how you're maybe working through any resistance coming from your organization as you bring that tech stack on. Okay, there's, there's lots to unpack there. <laughs> Let me start by talking about how we choose our tech stack. We run account-based marketing campaigns primarily. So account-based has been our kind of weapon of choice for a long time. Um, but I would say our competency within that space has been improving over the last two years. We were very much a neophyte in the space when we started the team about two and a half years ago. And now we've matured to, to a slightly, let's say one stage past the neophytes. So we see better results. When it comes to technology, it depends what we're trying to achieve. When it comes to audience building, we have a certain set of needs. Then when it comes to advertising, again, a different set of needs. And finally, when it comes to 
communicating and engaging with our prospects, again, we require different technology. So we have quite a broad customer base. We have a very broad set of products that we sell. So we have very discrete needs in different parts of each business. So when it comes to choosing a partner, the biggest challenge for us is around integration. So when we're going to try out a new technology, the most important thing is that we can try that technology before we make any significant investment. Because Stanley Black & Decker is a huge organization. Getting any kind of new technology onboarded is a challenge. So we need to make sure that we're 100% committed to that direction before we apply a lot of resource in that area. So I'd say that when it comes to choosing a partner, finding a partner that's very accessible uh, and can offer us a trial in advance of any significant commitment is going to get us a lot further down the road to making an investment. Yeah, that's great. So we talk a lot with our own customers about a crawl, walk, run approach. And that's how so many of our customers actually become our customers. They start small with us, they find success, and they grow. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned an ABM approach. So industrial buyers are probably very different from, say, buyers of professional services, maybe an intangible product, or, or even buyers of software. Talk to us a little bit about how you think about the account-based journey specifically for an industrial buyer, for example. So I think the main difference between the three buying groups that you mentioned at the start of the question is where the emotional collection lies with those buyers. One thing that we find within, when we're selling to industrial manufacturers, safety is probably their paramount concern and zero defects is always their goal. When something goes wrong within a manufacturing process, the consequences are extremely severe. A product recall costs tens of millions of dollars. A safety incident can cause huge brand damage. So making the wrong decision is probably the first thing within the industrial buyer's mind when they're making a decision. What are the consequences of this going wrong? And for that reason, it's very critical for us as a vendor to understand their challenges, to understand what are the things that that are keeping them awake at night? Where are the areas that we can potentially add value to that customer? Um, maybe directly related to the product that we're, we're trying to sell or maybe unrelated, maybe related more to that individual or that individual's process uh, when they're making a purchase. Uh, but ultimately, we need to find a way to add value to that buyer as soon as possible. And then we probably need to find more than one occasion to add value to that buyer within a buying process. So I'd say that when it comes to our account-based approach, it starts fundamentally by understanding what the customer needs and understanding how we can provide a unique value to that customer finding different ways to enable that customer before ultimately making a contact to them, reaching out to them on a timely occasion to make sure that our product is front of mind. And that's great. Thanks so much for sharing that. Very insightful. I'm curious, I don't want to make assumptions. We hear a lot about this, this economic downturn globally. I'm curious about how you, your world, and specifically Stanley overall, are you guys seeing any anything in the way of, a, of an economic downturn? And- and if so, how are you guys are reacting and adapting to that? Okay, so economic downturn, no. I think obviously Stanley Black & Decker is a very diversified organization. So where we would see in some pockets areas of economic downturn, we would see a positive side in other parts of the business. So we're very much able to weather that storm. I think something that is more prevalent for us as an organization is around global supply chain. I think every industrial manufacturer right now is seeing increases in raw material prices, difficulty in availability of raw materials, and that makes it more challenging to go to market with a standard model. So we're seeing a lot more variance and a lot more volatility in the market. And this is something that we're working hard to solve by leveraging the size of our organization. So when it comes to purchasing raw materials, we buy as a large group. When it comes to offsetting any kind of 
inflationary price increases, that's something, again, that we ought to address as a wider organization. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's great. And I got to tell you, as we were prepping for this, I hadn't really given much thought to the safety feature that you mentioned a minute ago. As we talk to other customers outside the industrial world, safety or people being injured is not a part of, uh, of the calculus. People draw a lot of comparisons between B2B marketing and B2C marketing. And I like to illustrate the difference between a B2C purchaser and a B2B purchaser in terms of where emotion plays a role in their decision-making process when they're making a purchase. And maybe for a B2C purchase, maybe someone's buying a pair of sneakers. There's an emotional connection, right? And that emotional connection is around not necessarily the fact they're going to run faster, but the fact they're going to look cool in those sneakers, right? The fact that their famous celebrity is going to be wearing them. The fact they've seen an influencer that's actually wearing them. But on the B2B side, it's more about what are the consequences of what could go wrong and what could be the consequences to my career or my life in general if I make a poor purchasing decision. So emotion is probably even more pronounced in a B2B purchase than B2C, uh, but it's just manifested in a very different way. Yeah, no, that's insightful. And we talk a lot about B2C, to your point, buying sneakers. I don't need to check with my wife before I buy a pair of sneakers. (laughs) Yeah, I should, but I don't need to. Yet, if I'm going to go off and make a six-figure purchase, that buying committee in a B2B transaction is going to be much larger. It's going to be me and 10 or 12 other people, including information security and procurement and the leadership team. So that's a very good point. And we're seeing that situation become even more pronounced. I think I've seen some recent statistics from Gardner whereby a buying group was traditionally around about six people a couple of years ago. And now we're seeing that up all the way to 16, as you mentioned. The consequences of that are that we need to reach more personas when it comes to our marketing process. And we can't ignore the buying group when we're trying to focus on the engineering team. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. We talk a lot here about the buying committee and being able to get to the buying committee with the right message. Benjamin, that's awesome. Thank you for everything you've shared today. In terms of of just kind of wrapping up very quickly, who are some other people, some other marketers or or influencers in, in B2B marketing that maybe you think we should be talking to or maybe even have on the show as a guest? So someone who I've collaborated with quite closely within the Stanley organization is Wazim Kawaf. So he's the VP of Digital Marketing for Stanley Security. He's really been a thought leader when it comes to account-based marketing within our organization. And I've seen him working on some really cool stuff. So I think he'd be a great person to have on your show. That's wonderful. That's awesome. And then I'm sure that some of our listeners, they're going to hear this. They're going to say, wow, Benjamin, that was insightful. How could I get in touch with this Benjamin character? So how best to get in touch with you by email or Twitter or LinkedIn? What's the best way? You can find me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to, to answer any questions or help anyone out there. And you're based in the UK. I'm based in the UK. That's right. Wonderful. Okay. Benjamin, listen, I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for being on our show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Base TV.